Welcome to the Gorefine Schiller and Garden podcast series. With back to college time officially upon us, there are many tax-related items that parents and guardians should be aware of to help potentially offset the cost of higher education. And today we're joined by Matt Kiefer, who is a director of tax services at Gorefine Schiller and Garden, who will break down the top college-related tax breaks for 2021. And Matt, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And let's start at the top. If you don't mind, please tell us about the current higher education tax credits that are available right now. Sure. No problem. So right now, there's only two credits that are available to taxpayers. That one is the American Opportunity Credit and the other is the Lifetime Learning Credit. Generally speaking, most of the time, the American Opportunity Credit is going to be the more beneficial of the two. And we'll go into when the lifetime learning credit kind of comes into play for taxpayers. But just top level overview of the American Opportunity Credit. So it's a $2,500 credit per student. So if you have multiple students, you could, you know, potentially get up, say you got four kids, got up to $10,000 of a credit to use against taxes. And actually, if you have a situation where you don't have any tax, this is actually a potentially a refundable credit up to 40%. So that's an additional benefit for those that don't have large income and don't really have tax, they can still potentially get a refund here. So the 2500 credit, it's based on eligible qualified expenses for tuition and fees and certain types of expenses. Now there's an exhaustive list, we're not going to go into that, but that's what the 2500, you have to have at least $2,500 of those costs per student to get to the max credit that you can get to. And then the eligible student, it has to either be the taxpayer, spouse, or a claim dependent. And then you have probably one of the biggest thresholds that people face with this credit is the AGI phase-outs. So if you're a married filing joint taxpayer, the credit begins to phase out once your AGI hits 160000 and then once you get to 180000 it's fully phased out. And then for other taxpayers, single or married filing separate, it begins at 80000 and then it's fully phased out at 90000 And then just a few other criteria. It's only for the first four years of post-secondary education, and the student has to be at least half-time enrolled. And it also has a requirement that the student couldn't have been hit with a felony drug violation. So that's a criteria there then, too. So that's the basic gist of the American Opportunity Credit. The Lifetime Learning Credit is a per-return credit, so it's not per student like the American Opportunity Credit is. And that's a $2,000 per return. The benefit of the Lifetime Learning, it's more than just the first years, four years of post-secondary education. So it can be for any post-secondary degree program, even if it's just part-time. And it also includes courses that are to acquire or improve job skills, if not part of a post-secondary degree. And there's no limit on the amount of years that it can be claimed for each student. And then it also has lower thresholds for the phase-out. So joint starts at 118,000, it begins to phase-out. And then at 138000 it's fully phased out. And then other taxpayers, single, married, filing, separate, it's 59000 And then fully phased out, it's 69000 So most of the time, people are going to use the American Opportunity Credit unless it's kind of the post-four 
years of post-secondary education or if you just have uh, courses related to improving job skills. And that's the high-level review of what the credits are today. All right. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you breaking those down. And let's shift over and talk about 529 plans and tell us more about them and the value they have tax-wise for really saving for college in the long run, right? Yeah. Yep. So these are they're state-based sponsored plans. They're one of two types. Not sure if every state has both types available in the state of Maryland. We have a prepaid tuition plan where essentially you're paying tuition based on today's rates and kind of locking in those rates for the future. They do have some restrictions, so you definitely have to weigh the pros and cons of whether you want to do prepaid tuition or the other type of plan in Maryland. It's called a savings plan. And that's almost just like a typical savings type plan where you're putting money into the plan and then it gets invested and and grows. So the benefits, and it's a common misconception, there's no federal deduction for making a contribution to a 529 plan. The states generally have a deduction available for state income taxes. So the state of Maryland, you get $2,500 deduction per plan per beneficiary. So if you have a husband and wife and you each set up a plan for your kid, you could potentially get $5,000 deduction. Now, it's not a significant amount of tax savings because the top rate in Maryland is only about 9%. So you're looking at maybe a $450 tax savings each year. The real benefit of the 529 plans is just the, the tax-free growth of all the contributions that go into the plan. So as long as you use the funds to when you end up withdrawing it for qualified education expenses, then the distributions are also tax-free. So that's really where the tax benefit is, is the tax-free growth and then the eventual distributions that come out tax-free. All right. Excellent. Thanks for that breakdown. And let's shift again and tell us about the Coverdale Education Savings Account, the CESA. Sure. It's very similar to a 529 plan, but much more restrictive. The 529 plan, I forgot to mention, it doesn't have a contribution limit, whereas the Coverdale, it does have a contribution limit. The maximum that you can contribute to a per beneficiary is only $2,000. And once the beneficiary attains age of 18, you can't contribute anymore unless the beneficiary has special needs. So right off the bat, that's the big drawback to the Coverdale is just the limited amount that can be contributed compared to the HSA. It does have phase-outs involved for contributing to it as well, so similar to the American Opportunity Credit. So married filing jointly, it starts at 190000 and once you get to 220000 you can't make any more contributions. And then for single, it's 95000 and then 110000 And the rules are kind of similar to the 529 as far as tax-free earnings and distributions. And one item that I failed to mention on the 529 plans, one benefit of those plans is you can potentially transfer the account to a different beneficiary, say a kid. They don't end up going to school, so you need it to transfer to one of your other children. You can do that. You can also do that in a Coverdale, but it's a little more restrictive. So that's a drawback there as well. 
All right. Awesome. And I know a lot of parents are always trying to think about scholarships. Obviously, higher education is very costly these days. Tell us about some of the tax implications around scholarships. Sure. So the basic rule of thumb is they're typically excluded from gross income, but that's contingent on the scholarship not exceeding the amount of qualified tuition and related expenses. So if you have a student that gets a large scholarship that's well in excess of tuition and related expenses, then they would actually have taxable income to report. And then the secondary part of that is you, you can't exclude from gross income any amount of the scholarship that is considered for teaching, research, or other services that are required to be performed as a condition for receiving that scholarship. And there's cases where the college may not provide a W-2 to the student, but if they have teaching, research, or other services, they would still have to report that income. So it's an item to keep an eye out for. All right, great. Well, Matt, appreciate this breakdown today. And if we always ask this question when somebody provides such great insights on what's going on out there on any topic tax-wise, and this the universal question is, how can Gore find Schiller and Garden help? Well, we just kind of went into a helicopter view of these different topics. Obviously, each one has their different intricacies. So taxpayers may or may not qualify for some of these items and have specific questions on whether they qualify. So we're certainly here to help assist on, on whether they qualify for the different savings. And then there's different types of tax planning strategies that can be done in regards to the AGI phase outs. And that's another area where we can help with. All right. Awesome. You know, Matt, it's always a pleasure speaking with you and appreciate your insights today. And before we sign off, is there anything else to add or anything we may have missed? Yeah. I mean, just in general thought is never too early to start saving for college. One thought is to just consider setting up a 529 plan when your children are first born, even if you're doing small levels of contributions because they can grow tax free. They can get to fairly large dollar amounts and not realizing that can happen. All right. Excellent. Well, this concludes this Gorefine Schiller and Garden podcast interview with Matt Kiefer, who's a director of tax services at the firm, who, as you heard, was kind enough to break down the top college-related tax breaks for 2021. And Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks, Matt.